thing on too. So uh, I wanted to start off my preaching career on a very positive note. So the title of the lesson is, Things Are Going to Get a Whole Lot Better. <laughs> Maybe not because I'm preaching, but because of God's Word. And we're going to just dive right into it. I want you to see and really believe that things are going to get a whole lot better. So let's go ahead and we're going to jump right in to, if you want to open your Bibles, you can. You can follow along here. We're in Judges chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and in strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the eastern peoples invaded their country. They camped on the land and ruined all the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. And you can imagine what that would seem like and feel like. And we're talking about the Midianites, Eastern peoples coming in. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian impoverished the Israelites so much that they cried out to the Lord for help. When I read something like that, I have to look at a map. So I'm sorry if it's an eye chart, but if you take a look over here where the red circle is, hey, that's Google Maps for you. I just did Google Maps on the Sea of Galilee. There's a Sea of Galilee. There's a Sea of Galilee. There's a Sea. There's a Sea. There's a Sea of Galilee. Very good. Okay. So my sermon's over. No. <laughs> so... That, that's where this all was taking place. And the, and the bigger map here, the more close map, um, is showing you that you've got from north to south through the page, you've got the Jordan River. And where the blue lines are, up in the mountains, is where those Israelites were hiding. Okay? And we're going to get into that some more, and you'll find out what happens and why those blue arrows all point back toward the river. We're going we're to talk about that. But the point now is that things are not very good. Pretty oppressive. I want you to think for a minute here about seven years ago, January 2016. How many of you can honestly say that you've had an affliction or a chronic illness for the last seven years and it has not changed? I don't think many of us can say that. And I think that even and those that have, we probably ought to look at them and, and think about this for a minute. To, that, that's, really, that's really interesting. It's really important to understand for seven years this was going on to the point where they were basically living for their lives in the mountains. Okay? Now, let's move on. We're going to start now in verse 7. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite. And if anybody knows this better than me, that's okay. Keep it to yourself. He's... A, <laughs> Joash, okay, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Uh, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, <clears throat> Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand 
of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of, the Midian, out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon was a young man. And if you read further, you'll find out he did have a son. So it, it's likely he was a married man. And we, we learn about Joash. So it's very possible that he and that Gideon and his family were living with Joash, with his, basically living with his parents. Okay? But in verse 13, we, we see that Gideon was afraid and weak. But Gideon's family, uh, this is an important part. It, he says, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Where did, where did Gideon learn that? We learned that from his parents. He learned that from his ancestors. Okay? Record. record. Scripture, what we call scripture today. Good. Good job. Okay, he remembered that. I don't think he learned from scripture what happened after that or what he said after that. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. And, you know, he, maybe he was feeling forsaken because he wasn't sure about God anymore. Uh, maybe he couldn't see God working and moving and protecting the Israelites like he once heard about. Uh, maybe he had resentment toward God. What I get from this passage is that Gideon thought the, the same way as his parents and their ancestors had influenced him to think. God has abandoned us. Not we have strayed from God. You notice that? God has abandoned us. That's a very important difference to to understand. It's a heart difference is what it is. But you know what? Gideon did something really cool. He made a request of the angel of the Lord, and I want to show you what God did in response, starting at verse 20. The angel of God said to him, okay, you made this request. Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread, with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid, you are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and called it, the Lord is peace. Remember verse 13? When, the, when Gideon asked the angel, why has all this suffering happened to us? How come we don't see any wonders and blessings of God like our fathers talked about? Well, Gideon, did it ever occur to you that your, fathers, that your father and the people have an altar built to an entirely different God, Baal? And they are worshiping that God. No wonder God has left you. There's an idol in your way. Now, we read this story and we think an idol, an Asherah pole, a statue of Baal. But I want to I help reframe your thinking a minute about what an idol really is. An idol, I, I like to think of it as the balance of faith and doubt. Do you remember there was a story in Matthew 9 where a, a father whose son was ill brought him to the disciples. The disciples couldn't heal him. And, he, and then he, they show up 
at Jesus. And, and the father exclaims, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That is sort of what Gideon did right here. Gideon at this moment was just being real with God. He was being honest about where his heart was at. Idolatry doesn't have to be what you and I physically see. Idolatry sneaks in when we start getting influenced by anything that is not built on faith. What is not, what is not built on faith? So how did Gideon go from fear to peace? How did he go from being weak to being strong? It started when he got vulnerable. And as we grow, especially, you know, as we grew up, and especially in this church, we learn about God. God is love. He's our Father in heaven. He's the creator. God is peace. He's all-knowing. He's our protector. He's our deliverer. We learn about Satan, the devil, the enemy. Represents hate, conflict. He's a liar. The Bible describes him as the father of lies. The Bible describes Satan as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's a destroyer. He's a deceiver. What about you? Do you understand yourself? Do I understand myself? Am I going to be real and vulnerable with God? Am I going to just be honest with myself? Because I know a lot. I know a lot about God and Satan, and I can tell you lots of stories. But do I know myself? Do I really understand me? Gideon had to do what? He had to understand himself. He had to be honest with himself. And he had to deal with where he and his people were at. That's a very sobering thought. But I, I admire his courage. He made an inquiry. He said, he, he asked the angel of the Lord for proof. He was doubting. And he got it. Gideon had to draw near to God. He had to become vulnerable with God about where he was at. But you know what? He found peace. He found courage. He had to confront the idolatry of his father and his people. Oh, boy. We're about to get into this. You ready for this? Do you think it went well? Well, I don't know. The same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the, the one that's seven years old. That's kind of funny. I think it's hilarious. They had been in captivity or oppression for seven years, and I just think that maybe there was a little bit of humor with God. The, you know, the one that's seven years old, the one that, you know, you remember that time, right? And then he went into uh, oppression. Take that seven-year-old, tear down your father's altar, Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, um, to the Lord your God, on the top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Okay. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, and the Asherah pole beside it torn down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? 
And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the town were, okay, we'll, figure, we'll, we'll repent. No. <laughs> the people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. I want you to watch the father's response. A little influence from the son. Watch what the father does now. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, let Baal contend with him. They gave him a pretty demoralizing title. Do you appreciate those that have taken huge risks? Do you remember the person that reached out to you? Maybe they took a huge risk to share their faith with you. How about the person who stands for Christ instead of their parents? How about the person that stands for Christ instead of their spouse or their, or their children? They stand for Christ. How about people that have stood for Christ and even risked this church? How about that? How about the people that have had the courage to, to do that? Have you ever been ridiculed? When I was a young Christian, the brother who mentored me really looked up to him. His name is Marty. And Marty got accused at work of being gay. Now, Marty did not have any feelings of same-sex attraction, but they were accusing him because when brothers would come to his workplace, he'd give them a hug. And so they would poke fun at him. And they would call him, he would, they would call him a gay. And one time we were together, and he just teared up and he cried, and he wanted to pray. Because it broke his heart. He had no respect. He stood for Christ. Brother walked, into the, brother walked into the store. He wanted to give him a hug and welcome him. His friends just wanted to ridicule him and make him feel like he had zero respect. So the next time somebody, you look at someone and you realize they have taken a high risk to stand for something, for truth, take a moment and appreciate them because there's a lot going on, a lot of hurt perhaps. And they, and they need your comfort, your presence. Okay? Jerobale. So let's go on to chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerobael, that is Gideon, I think, again, that's really funny. The author is now actually using this derogatory name and poking fun, like, you know, that nickname that his own people gave him? Gideon and all his men, okay, they camped at the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian, north of them, in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. So by this time, he had collected men because he had gotten the courage to go fight the Midianites. He said, you have too many. I can't deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. That's what they'll say. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear, turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. And I, I put, you know, I'm a math guy, so I put that little, you know, it started with 32,000, and by the way, 32,000 is greater than 10. Okay? So... That's greater than sign. That's a greater than sign, yes. All right? So, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, 
I will thin them out there for you. If I say this one shall go, he shall go. And if I say this one shall not go, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as a dog would lap water, from those who kneel down to take a drink. 300 of them drank, cupped, cupping their hands, and he said, those are the ones I'm going to use. Now, at this point, the first time I heard this lesson, somebody said, you, you know, well, probably maybe they're more alert because they were doing this. I don't know. We don't know what the real reason is, but we do know one thing. God said there were too many men. That's the point. God said, I'm going to make it so crazy on you guys, so crazy bad odds against you that you'll have no excuse. Look what we did. All right? There were 135,000 Midianites, Amalekites, and Eastern peoples. Camels were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. But Gideon, he heard, he, he and, a, a, and some men went down to the perimeter of the camp. And just to give you context, remember they're up in the mountains? And the Midianites, you know, they were, they were like, ha, this is so fun. We won't even bother getting the strategic high ground. We're just going to camp out in this valley of Jezreel, and we're just going to party it up with our camels and laugh at the Israelites hiding in the mountains. Now, that, that night, Gideon and some men went to the perimeter of the camp, okay? And, and just like the ram caught in the thicket, the timing couldn't have been better. They got down there, and Gideon could hear two Midian soldiers. One said to the other, it was, it was a dream about some giant roll or muffin or who knows what it was rolling over their camp and destroying them. And, then, and but before that happened, he could hear trumpets shouting and for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon is hearing, he's, you know, this one guy tell the other, I had this dream and this is what happened. And they're like, whoa, okay. You know, and so Gideon had what I'm going to call the bear is in the cave moment. Okay? So he, uh, we'll get to that. We go down from 10,000, and there's that greater than sign, down to 300. And the odds are 135,000 to 300, which is 450 to 1. Those aren't very good odds. Pretty bad odds. Here's the bear in the cave moment. You guys ever see this far side? I love far side. There's a big bear. We're going to call the big bear God. There's the little bears, that's the, three, the, the, the 300. And then there are the skulls. Those are the Midianites, Amalekites, and Eastern peoples. And the bear, you know, the bear says, okay, okay, okay. One more time and then it's off to bed. Off to bed, you Israelites. Hey, Bob, think there are any bears in this cave? <laughs> I don't know, Jim. Let's take a look. <laughs> well, look what happened to them because they decided to take a look. You might be fighting God. And, and I love this example because God is, he wants to make this laughable. There are so many skeletons in this, in this cave now because they were fighting God. And, but, but, you know, that wasn't the lesson. The lesson was for the little bears to remember God is a big bear. He's a very big bear. He can handle it. He can handle you. He can handle your chronic illnesses. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your own fears. He is able to handle 
the conflict in your heart, the things that are not resolved. God understands Satan. Do we understand ourselves? So, I think Gideon had all he needed. And in verse 17, he says to his troops, he goes back up, and now the 300 are together. He tells them to divide into three companies of 100. They go into three different areas around this valley, and he says, watch me, he told them, follow my lead, and when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. They had to work together. They had to coordinate their actions. They had to focus on their communication. Not unlike the Wichita Church of Christ. Last week, Mark preached about working together. We're family. We're together. We've had Eric and, and, and some other brothers, Ken, and um, you know that, that brother over there, Tony, <laughs> give us a class on communication. And we're breaking up into our separate classes on Wednesday, and we're continuing that theme. Great. Now I hope this adds some significance to why we're doing it. Something, something really big is about to happen, and things are going to get a whole lot better. Once they worked together, once they coordinated their actions, they realized those Midianites, those Amalekites, they had totally underestimated God. They underestimated God. They, they just flat out underestimated him. God has abandoned us. That's the narrative you want to believe. That's not the real truth. That's just the narrative you decided to believe. And then you taught, you influenced your kids that narrative. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches with their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpets. They were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midians ran, crying as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah toward Zerah as far as the border of, and I'm, I'm going to just stop there, remind you of this map. The map was, they were kind of camping out up here closer to the Sea of Galilee. They had to run from the Valley of Jezreel back to the Jordan River and head south, okay? They're, they're now being, they're being chased is what's going on. All right, the Israelites, now check this out, not just the 300, the Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh were called out. They pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, that was the group down on the south, closer uh, uh, to Beth Harah, and they said, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So the men... Uh, of Ephraim were called out and they seized the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured the Midianites, the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. And they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. That was quite a victory. 
It was, it was an astonishing victory with 300, 300 men. And so what are our takeaways? What are our takeaways from this whole story? How can we take it and apply it to us? Things are going to get a whole lot better. If, one, God wants things to get a whole lot better. Do you realize that? God doesn't want complacency. He's not interested in, let's hang in there. Come on, team. Let's hang in there. If you watch the Jaguars versus the, the, cho- the, ch- the San- 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 Los Angeles Chokers last night. And, and you know, the, the halftime speech from the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, Dave uh, Peterson, I forget his first name, probably wasn't, hang in there. We're only 20 points down. You know, hang in there. God wants things to get a whole lot better, Wichita Church of Christ. Number two, are you hiding? Or are you being vulnerable and real with God? Remember how easy it is to hide behind idolatry because it may not be something you see. It's more about your doubts and your fears. Okay? Do you see the real enemy? It's you. It's your hang-ups. It's your idols. Yes, Satan is a roaring lion. He just wants to take what you're going to believe, the narrative you want to believe, and then cream you down. God can do astonishing things when we start working together and coordinating our efforts. I love you all. I am ready to coordinate my efforts with you all. And I love when I get great feedback. And I I love good-hearted people. Maybe the feedback isn't the best, but they care. Because you know what? It's more important to love than it is to analyze. And this is coming from an engineer. All right, yeah, big jump. That's right. Finally, God only needed 300 men and zero weapons to win the initial battle. Let's take these clay jars and torches inside them and trumpets and let's go fight. Here we go, ready? But the second line is the more important one. To finish the war... All the men of Israel had to get involved. That's the point. There may be a Tim Sherrill. There may be a Ken Long. There may be somebody in our spiritual world that is trying to help us, the Wichita Church of Christ. It's more important that all of us coordinate, communicate, get involved. Church, things are about to get a whole lot better.